All right, uh, we'll get started. Good morning, everybody. Thank you all for joining us here. Uh, welcome to reInvent. Um, it's really a pleasure to have you all here. So my name is Dinkar Parabala. I'm a software dev manager with AWS IoT. Um, in, within AWS IoT, I specifically lead the message broker services. We also have uh, Vinay Bansal from Amazon Music. Uh, Vinay is going to step on here and talk towards the later part of the session. And he's going to be talking about the Amazon Music story on how they built a pretty cool application using AWS IoT. So before we get started, a quick show of hands here. How many of you have thought of building applications or built applications using AWS IoT? Oh, that's quite a lot. That's good. All right. So amongst you guys, um, I'm sure you have one of those ideas, an IoT idea that probably is going to change how we uh, live in this world. And what if that idea was a revolutionary one in the sense that it drives massive adoption uh, from your customers or users or devices? And now that you've built your application or thinking about building it, how many of you have actually thought about scaling your application for millions and millions of devices or customers or users? Yeah, some hands still. That's good. So for the next 45 minutes to one hour, uh, we are going to be basically focusing on what are the things that you can do to build your applications on top of AWS IoT in a way in which you can actually scale for those millions of customers or millions of users and devices. And by the end of the one hour, you will go back and take some key takeaways in terms of the scaling best practices that you can apply for your applications. I'm going to have just one slide uh, to kind of give like an overview of AWS IoT. I'm, I know most of you have already used it, but this is for folks who have never uh, used AWS IoT. I'm going to just spend one slide giving um, a glance of all the components that we're going to touch base as part of this session. So AWS IoT, for those who don't know about it, it's a fully managed service that allows for devices to securely connect and also communicate over a PubSub messaging model. PubSub basically stands for Publish Subscribe. Uh, a bunch of devices can subscribe to topics, and the publisher can publish messages on those topics, and then AWS IoT will deliver those messages to the subscribers uh, who are subscribed to those topics. In terms of protocol support, there is support for MQTT protocol, HTTPS, and MQTT over WebSockets. We'll also talk about Rules Engine somewhere in the middle of the talk. Uh, Rules Engine is essentially a component within AWS IoT. Uh, it allows for customers to integrate AWS IoT with other AWS services, be it in the analytics world or databases or storage. Uh, there's a whole list of AWS services that AWS IoT integrates with on our public documentation. And then there is Think Shadows. We'll also talk about Think Shadows somewhere uh, in the talk. And Think Shadows is essentially um, a virtual representation of the state or the content of the device in the cloud. So if the device keeps going online and offline, the device can keep itself in sync with the state or the content that has been stored in that corresponding thing shadow. All right. So in order to talk about the theme of our talk, which is to scale for you know, millions of devices, I'm going to actually pick four different customer examples. Uh, these are real customer examples where customers out there are actually building these applications on top of AWS IoT. And the reason why I chose these four different examples is together with the combination of these four examples, we will cover a majority of use cases or majority of messaging patterns that we see our customers use uh, with AWS IoT. I'll get started right off the bat with the first example. I'm going to be using the example of home automation. And here, the customer use case is connected TV. So I'm sure most of you have TVs in your living rooms or bedrooms or wherever you prefer to have them. And you possibly also have an Alexa or a mobile phone um, in that same room as well. Who wouldn't want to control the TV with your Alexa and not having to worry about that always uh, lost remote under the cushions? Right? I would love to do that. So the way you would want to do it is basically there is a controlled device, which is the TV itself. And then there is a controlling device, the Alexa or the mobile phone, which you can give instructions to to basically get the TV to do whatever you want it to do. So there is some sort of a connection or some sort of communication that needs to happen between these two sets of devices. 
And you could use AWS IoT to bridge that communication between the controlled device and then the controlling device. So for the, in this case, the way this would work is basically <clears throat> the TV can subscribe to a bunch of topics and, excuse me, So the TV can subscribe to a bunch of topics, and these topics basically map to whatever the commands that the TV supports. So in this case, I had an example of switch on, switch off, volume up, volume down, and so on. And when you spell out the instruction to your Alexa, or when you hit the button on your mobile phone, you can have your Alexa or mobile phone publish that message for that corresponding command onto AWS IoT topic, and AWS IoT will deliver that message to the TV, and then the TV can act upon it. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward, right? There's a slight optimization here. Now, <clears throat> let's say the TV supports many commands and many features, and this is pretty common in TVs that come uh, in today's world. So let's say the TV actually supported 100 different commands that you could control with um, your Alexa or your mobile phone. So in this case, the TV would have to subscribe to all those 100 different topics. Works, but it's kind of inconvenient, right? One, the TV has to remember all those subscriptions. And every time the TV connects, it needs to make sure that it's subscribing to all those different topics. And even if it misses out on one single topic, that particular command might not work. And the second aspect to it is there is cost implication. So <clears throat> again, every time when the TV connects, as part of that connection, it needs to go subscribe to all these 100 different topics. And each subscription or each subscribe request is a message to AWS IoT, and it incurs some sort of cost. So a slight optimization for this would be to use wildcard subscriptions. AWS IoT supports the wildcard subscriptions that MQTT protocol has. So the equivalent of subscribing to all those 100 different topics is you could just have one subscription called command slash plus and plus here basically acts like a regex, and you can use that plus instead of all the other commands that, that you would have to list down. Again, a simple, uh, easy optimization, right? Now, in the new world, basically, this is going to be the TV, instead of subscribing to all those topics, it just subscribed to a single uh, subscription. And no matter what the command you give from your Alexa or your mobile phone, uh, the corresponding publish can happen on the topic, uh, but the TV is still going to receive those messages, and it can act upon it. But wait, what if we had millions of TVs? In fact, a million TVs is not a big deal for a successful TV company, right? Um, if we were a successful company, we'd probably be selling millions and millions of TVs, like if you know some of those successful companies. Now, if we had lots of such TVs, what would we do? Sure, we can think of some sort of a device ID for each of our TVs and um, plug that device ID somewhere in the topic. And that helps in kind of identifying which TV that the command is being issued for. And that solves the problem. But the key question here is that we need to add this device ID somewhere in the topic and somewhere where. Either it needs, you could probably add it to the prefix uh, of the original topic that we had. Or you could put it in the middle between the command and the wildcard. Or you can actually put it at the suffix after the wildcard. Now, why is this really important? Like, does it really matter where I put my device ID? It kind of does. And in order to be able to answer the question on this slide here, we need to kind of understand a little bit about what AWS IoT does to your device subscriptions. So in my example, like <clears throat> when we have this TV, when it issues a subscribe request on a subscription, including wildcard subscriptions onto AWS IoT, behind the scenes, that subscription is being stored somewhere, right? It's being stored in some sort of a data store. Um, it's not relevant for this uh, conversation, what that data store is and what that looks like. But the point is that this subscription has to be stored somewhere. And then when the publish request comes on a particular topic, AWS IoT has to fetch all those subscriptions, including the wildcard subscriptions, and then find out who the subscribers are and then deliver that message to those subscribers. So the key here is that when a subscribe request is issued to AWS IoT, it's a write operation. And when a 
Publish request is issued. It's a read operation in that the topic now has to be matched to all the wildcard subscriptions as well as the normal uh, non-wildcard subscriptions. And then that result has to be fetched from this data store. So I'll zoom in a little bit into the, the data store of how we were going to store this. So for 1 million TVs, we would need 1 million subscriptions, assuming each TV had that wildcard subscription that we talked about. And these subscriptions have to be stored somewhere, like I said. Now, today, this is 1 million uh, subscriptions. Tomorrow, it could be tens of millions of subscriptions. So this is going to basically grow in numbers. So the storage would require, the storage that we would require to have is some sort of a scalable storage solution that would scale horizontally as more and more devices come in uh, to the field. So for this example, basically, I've decided to say that for this million subscriptions, I would need some sort of a partitioning scheme for how I store these subscriptions. And I said, for these million subscriptions, I would need uh, 10 different partitions. And the way these partitions are accessed, or the partitioning scheme for this is based on the prefix of the topic for those subscriptions. Now, I've taken a very simple partitioning scheme here. We could possibly say, hey, the first 100K devices would fit into the first partition. The next 100K would go into the second, and so on, up until the last 100K would go into the 10th partition. And now let's see what those three options we had and how they for, uh, play into this uh, setup. So the first topic um, option we had, which is the device ID being the prefix, in this case, because the device ID is in the prefix and because the way the partitions are accessed is based on the prefix of the topic, this is an easy, simple mapping into a single partition. So let's say in this example, the device ID was 125764. We know that by the prefix lookup, it falls into the second partition, and that's a single partition right axis. And if you had million devices and million device IDs, they would uniformly distribute the workload across all those partitions that were uh, provisioned or kept for storing all these subscriptions. The second option, what if the device ID was in the middle? Even in this case, well, the command is the prefix, but it becomes a common prefix for all the partitions. And then the high cardinality part of the topic, which is the device ID, which can go into millions, that's after that. So even in this case, it can still resolve into a single partition. And uh, for the device ID 125764, it still basically goes into that single partition. And if you had millions of devices, they would still have a uniform workload of writes across the partitions. So as and when you add more devices, it just requires more partitions, but the workload will be uniformly distributed across those partitions. What if we had the device ID after the wildcard? So in this case, this actually creates a non-uniform workload, workload across all the partitions. So think about it. Wildcard subscriptions are like regex. So when a read operation comes for a topic, it, in order to optimize for the reads, the read operation needs to pull all the subscribers from a single partition. Now, having the wildcard in front of or into the prefix of a high cardinality part of your topic creates a non-uniform workload because this wildcard subscription has to be returned in more than one partition so that when a read operation comes in, we're able to fetch all the subscribers, including the regex or the wildcard subscribers, from the single partition to optimize for the reads. So, the main key takeaway here is that when you have wildcard subscriptions for your devices and your devices are going to scale for millions of numbers, then you want to make sure that your wildcard is basically to the rightmost part of your topic or at least to the right of the high cardinality part of your topic, which you want to scale for uh, in high numbers. So for the three options we had, option one, option two, would both scale. But the third option, where we had the wildcard to the prefix of the high cardinality part of the topic structure, is not going to scale. Something to keep in mind. So this will be the end of the first example, and I'll, I'm going to close it out with the key takeaways from here. So we talked about um, how you could use wildcard subscriptions to consolidate your subscriptions. Um, it's convenient, and it saves you on some sort of cost. Two. Introduce device IDs to bring high cardinality for your topics, especially if you have 
lot of devices. You could um, easily identify each device based on the device ID, and you can plug that information into the topic. And the third and the main key takeaway from here is that if you have wildcard subscriptions for your devices, and if you want to have many of those wildcard subscriptions, then the good practice or, or the scalable practice is to have the wildcard subscription towards the rightmost part of your topic, or at least to the right of the high cardinality part of your topic structure. So I'll switch over to the next example. Here I'm using the example of telemetry. And the customer example here is connected wind farms. So let's say we are a company who is responsible for opening up wind farms across the world. And we have to make business decisions on uh, what are the places where we want to launch or, or open up new wind farms, or what are the places where we want to uh, shut down the existing wind farms because they're not being really efficient. Now, the way we would do this is, well, we thought about deploying a lot of sensors across the world on various locations, on locations where we think we might have to open new wind farms or, or the locations where we already have existing wind farms. And now, these sensors, using these sensors, we want to collect data from these sensors about the wind speed or any parameters that help us decide on, on the business decisions that we need to make. And now that these sensors can collect that data, this data will be vast, depending on how many we deploy. And that vast amount of data needs to be ingested somewhere into some sort of backend storage solution so that we can run our analytics engine and make those intelligent business decisions that we want to do, like open two new wind farms on the right side of the screen, and then take one off, because it's not being efficient. Now, again, AWS IoT can be used to pump and ingest uh, that vast amounts of data at high throughput. The way this would work is you can have your sensors publish onto a topic called sensor slash wind speed, this is an example. And you can have an AWS IoT rules engine rule configured to listen for all the messages coming onto that topic. And then you can also have the rule to write, to create, to have an action to write all those messages into Amazon Kinesis. And then from Amazon Kinesis onwards, you can then do your whole analytics engine to do those business decisions. We're not going to be focusing on what that analytics engine looks like. The focus here is how are we going to make sure that all these many sensors that we have deployed across the world, which are pumping data at a fast pace and volume, how do we make sure that we, we're able to capture and gather all that data and reliably dump it into our backend service or storage solution? So let's look at the AWS IoT rule and what that would, be look, uh, that would look like. There's a SQL section of the rule, and the SQL section essentially is saying that, hey, select everything. STAR stands for whatever is in the payload. So select everything in the payload that's being published on that topic, sensor slash wind speed. And then the rule um, needs to be enabled, so the rule disabled is false, obvious. And then the next section is the actions. The actions defines what needs to be done when a message is published on this topic. And here, the action is configured to write this data into Kinesis. So there's a role defined to be able to write to Kinesis. And then there was a Kinesis stream that we configured for ourselves. And the goal is to write it into that stream. And then there is a partition key to write that data into that Kinesis stream. And if you look at the partition key, uh, there is a substitution function uh, that I use, I use there. And it's topic function. The topic function is basically going to substitute uh, whatever the topic that this message has been published to for that rule in that location. So essentially, we're using the topic as the partition key in this example. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Amazon Kinesis. A quick rundown. Basically, Amazon Kinesis is a real-time data streaming service. You can use it to write data into it. And you essentially create a stream. And then you write data into the stream. And in order to kind of get the throughput, Amazon Kinesis allows for what they call as shards. So you can write data grouped into shards. And the partition key is essentially the, the key that is used to group the data into shards within an Amazon Kinesis stream. This basically allows for pumping large volumes of data through Amazon Kinesis. Now, let's try to design this problem a little bit. Let's say we are the developers in this company who are building this uh, solution. And 
we go kind of understand the requirements, it turns out that by 2020, we got to deploy one million sensors. And the, the sensors are required to publish real-time data in fixed intervals of 50 seconds, for the sake of this example. So if you calculate the total rate of um, messages globally across all the sensors, that's 20,000 publishers per second into AWS IoT. Now, Amazon Kinesis has, like I said, uh, shards. And each shard in Amazon Kinesis basically supports up to 1,000 write records per second. This is from their public documentation. So for 20,000 writes per second, assuming each write causes, results in a write record, that's about 20 shards. Again, simple math. So what do we do? Well, we go ahead and purchase the capacity, or we go ahead and basically provision the capacity of 20 shards in Amazon Kinesis, because we know that's the amount of capacity we need to pump this data into. And then off our sensors go. They go and publish on that topic, sensor slash wind speed. And what happens, because the partition key is just the topic itself, and that's the partition key that's used to write into a particular shard in Kinesis, unfortunately, it all ends up in going into one single shard. So we did all the hard work, and we said, oh, we need to provision this much of capacity, kept that in place, but guess what? When the sensors start publishing, most of that traffic gets throttled because all the capacity is not being used uniformly. So how, again, how do we distribute our rights? Think of high cardinality for your rights. Think of ways in which you can spread that workload evenly across the shards. AWS IoT Rules Engine supports more functions or substitution functions which actually help you get that. Like, you could use the client ID function, where the client ID is basically the client ID of the, of the device that's publishing. And if you had million clients or million sensors, that would be million client IDs. So it has a high cardinality. Or, simple, you could also choose to use a new UID every time a message is published. Even in that case, you would get a high cardinality for your partition keys. And once you have a high cardinality for your partition keys, it allows for a uniform workload across all the shards in your Amazon Kinesis stream. So that was a problem in, our cur uh, in the current topic that we, uh, the rule, sorry, we con configured. A quick fix is change that into client ID or new UID, and that would help solve the problem. So the key takeaways from here is that basically when you have use cases where you want to pump large amounts of data with high throughput into a backend downstream service, first of all, make sure that you have enough capacity for that service that you're writing this data into. Make sure you've provisioned that capacity. Two, once you've provisioned that capacity, make sure that the access keys that you're using to write this data into that provisioned capacity is evenly spread out across all the, um, the capacity that you've configured for that downstream service. I chose the example of Amazon Kinesis here, but the same principle will apply for any downstream service. Like take, for example, Amazon DynamoDB. Even in that case, you want to make sure that your table that you're writing this data into has the required provision capacity to be able to take those writes. And the primary key for your table should be chosen in such a way that it has a high cardinality so that the, the write workload is evenly distributed across that table. Now we're on to the third example. Here I chose the example of device data delivery and the customer use case is connected cars. I'm pretty excited about connected cars. Can't wait to see more of them on the roads. But anyway, for this example, the use case I have is we are a company now which make connected cars. That's pretty cool. And we have this requirement where um, there's a common set of configuration or common set of data that all our cars need to function correctly. And we have a backend service which um, is able to bundle all the device settings or common set of files and into some sort of a data bundle. And um, the, this backend service now needs to push this data bundle to all the devices in the field or all the cars in this case. AWS IoT comes in the picture. You could use AWS IoT to do that. And the way that will work is you can have all your cars subscribe to a topic called car slash common content. 
for example. And then now you can have your backend service push this data into the data bundle into that topic. And then AWS IoT will basically deliver that message to all the subscribers on that topic. But there's one of the cars. The dude in there is actually driving in the mountains. And he's not connected to the internet. So obviously, he's not connected to AWS IoT. And he's not subscribed to that topic. In that case, the car will not get that message. And it won't be able to function correctly um, until it actually gets that data bundle that it needs to get. So how does that offline car get the data eventually? Obviously, this data needs to be stored somewhere so that when the car comes back online, um, it's able to fetch that information from that stored state and be able to come up to speed with the rest of the cars in the field. Think shadows. So, and we talked about what Think Shadows are. It's the virtual representation of the content of the device in the cloud. And this is something that we can use. So I'll change the example. I mean, in the same example, how the setup is laid out, instead of the backend server publishing onto a topic, um, a, a random topic, instead it could actually store or push this data into a, a common Think Shadow. And then the cars which are connected online can once in a while fetch the information, depending on the requirement, how fast they need that information, from that thing shadow, and then get themselves up to speed with that data. And this guy in the mountains, once he comes back to the real life, and once he's connected back to the internet, as part of that connection back to AWS IoT, it can also make sure that it fetches the latest shadow content and get itself up to speed. Seems legit and seems that it will work, but there's actually a pretty big problem with this setup. And the main key takeaway here is that you don't want to be using shared shadows. Let's see what really happens here. So all the five cars which were connected, they would subscribe to the shadow common content slash get slash accepted topic. That's the topic where AWS IoT will deliver the shadow documents when a device requests for one. Now the sixth car comes online, it tries to fetch the shadow document, and the way it would do it is it would publish a message onto common content slash get topic. Some of you probably already guessed it. What's gonna happen is all the other cars which were also subscribed to the get accepted topic will also receive the shadow content. When you have six cars, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, you probably won't even notice that this was happening. But what if you had a million cars, and what if once in a while, one of those cars is fetching or trying to fetch the shadow content. All the other million cars will also get it. And if one car every few minutes is going to do it across all those million, then you're causing uh, an exponential avalanche of messages in your system. So obviously, this is not going to scale once you have millions of cars. And two, if you were expecting the volume of messages to run in your network to be X, you would actually see a million times of that volume. So what's the fix? Again, think of high cardinality. Think of high cardinality even for your think shadows. And the best high cardinality that you can get for your think shadows is have at least one think shadow per device. And try to avoid having any shared shadows at all. And the way these, this would work is now that your car has its own think shadow, it can always make sure that it keeps in sync with that thing shadow whenever it comes online and whenever it needs to make sure that it's up to speed. And then you can have the responsibility of pushing that common data bundle to all those thing shadows for your backend service or backend server to do that. So now your backend server can push that bundle to all the shadows, some sort of like a way in which you push data to a particular device. And then the, the car can occasionally fetch from the shadow document and make sure that it's um, up to speed with the cloud state. This will scale for how many ever cars you have in the network, in your field, and this will also not cause the issues about overloaded messages that we talked about. So the key takeaway here is basically avoid using shared shadows. And think of high cardinality for them. At least have one thing shadow per device, and that's the best high cardinality you can get. I have 
excuse me. I have now reached the last example. Here I'm going to use the example of broadcast notifications. And the customer use case here is mobile advertising. So now let's say we are a company which now builds uh, mobile applications. And we have a backend advertising platform service which is responsible for pushing um, real-time ads into uh, our mobile applications for users who are using our application at that point of time. And the way we want to do this is we want to make sure that um, we kind of group our users who are using our application in some sort of groups. And the dimension for what those groups are can be anything, and it's not really um, important. It could be based on geolocation, could be based on um, something else. It, again, not important. But the goal is that we know um, user set groups, and we want to push targeted messages or targeted ads to those users who are using our application. Now, the example, for ex like in this case, let's say if we, we have um, a lot of users using our application in Las Vegas area, and we want to push a targeted ad to those users um, almost real time. You could, again, use AWS IoT, kind of obvious. Um, and the way it would work is those users can subscribe to the topic um, real time based on their location. And in this case, they would subscribe to ad slash city slash Las Vegas. And now your server can publish on that topic, and all the devices that were subscribed to that topic will receive that message. So when you're using the application online, you would get that notification or that, that particular ad. So the pattern in which this messaging, like this whole messaging pattern works, internally we call it a fan out, essentially. Because when a message comes on a topic, AWS IoT has to replicate that message to all the subscribers on that topic. And, and it needs to kind of fan that message out to all the subscribers. So like we've done in our previous examples, let's do a quick design for this. Let's say the number of messages that we need to fan out, or in other words, the number of messages which are subscribed to this topic are 1 million. And then the second requirement, which is, I think is the key requirement here, is the total time that we want to have this message delivered to all the subscribers is less than 60 seconds. Now, I say this is a very key requirement is because this actually makes the problem really, really hard. Today, you have 1 million users using your application. Tomorrow, you could have 10 million users if your application is very popular. And then that can go into hundreds of millions. But the time to deliver this message to those devices is not going to increase. If not, it probably will even reduce. So the 60 seconds SLA or delivery latency has to be kept intact. But your usage of number of devices can keep growing as you get more usage. So that makes the problem really hard. How do, how, do, how do we make this work? Well, AWS IoT basically fans out your messages on a topic at roughly at a rate of 10,000 messages per second to the subscribers. So for 1 million subscribers, this is going to take 100 seconds. Not good. We wanted this to be in 60 seconds. What are we going to do? So this was the original setup. What if we had a separate setup where we further group our users into two topics as opposed to one, and then have our application randomly pick one of the two topics to subscribe when they come online, and make sure that our users are evenly distributed across those topics? Now we can make our back-end advertising platform or service to publish the message on both the topics in parallel. And what will happen is AWS IoT will take that message on both the topics and individually fan them out to those subscribers in parallel. So going back to the math here, now you have two topics. Topic one will have roughly about 500,000 subscribers, because assuming we are capable of making sure that our subscribers are evenly distributed across those topics. So for 500,000 subscribers, it would take 50 seconds. For the other 500,000 subscribers on group two topic, will also take 50 seconds. But since this happens in parallel, this would actually finish in 50 seconds for your 1 million users. 
So the example I took is only for 1 million. But if you had 10 million or 100 million, the same principle still applies. As you grow um, in your user base, but if your requirement is a strict requirement in terms of making sure that the message gets delivered on a certain period of time, work backwards from that number and figure out what ways in which you can think of high cardinality for your topics to be able to distribute your subscribers on those topics to get those desired SLAs. So the key takeaway here is basically shard your subscribers across your topics if you had strict desired SLAs in terms of broadcast notifications to your users. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Vinay to talk about Amazon Music and how they used the broadcast notification pattern in their example. <coughs> Thank you, Dinkar. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Vinay Bansal. I'm a software dev manager with Amazon Music. I'm going to talk about how we leverage AWS IoT service uh, using that in a broadcast pattern that Dinka just mentioned to solve one of our use cases earlier this year. So just a little bit of background. Amazon Music offers a music subscription service for Amazon Prime and Amazon Music unlimited subscribers so that they can get access to millions of tracks in our catalog. <clears throat> earlier this year, we launched audio streaming of live soccer games from Bundesliga and other soccer leagues on our app. This presented a different challenge for us. The challenge was to be able to provide near real-time updates for all the events that were happening on the game to all the connected users listening to the game at the same time. Now, these events could be a goal, a red card, or maybe even a substitution. Because the user is listening to the audio stream, we want to make sure they're able to see these live updates on their mobile or web screens at the same time without a lot of lag. Next, I'm going to talk about these browse views that the customer actually sees. So first, here's an example of games page, we call it. This page gives you the complete schedule of all the games, whether they're upcoming or whether they've already passed. So for the whole season, you can go and look at all the games, what their current status is. So it won't give you the detailed view, but it will tell you what the current score of the game is and what the status of time clocks or game clock is. Secondly, here's the now playing page, where you can look at the detailed view of any game. It will give you the stats. It will give you all the events that have happened in the game. And you can also start the audio stream for the game. Now, we want to make sure that all the updates that happen reach both the browse views for all the connected users. Now, what were our design goals for this real-time update platform? We wanted to make sure that from the time that an, an event happens in the game to the time that the last subscriber or the last user gets that update on their phone or on web, the total elapsed time should be less than 60 seconds for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. Second important criteria was obviously scalability. At Amazon, we build everything at scale. We want to make sure whatever platform we end up using is able to handle that traffic. So we initially, our goal was to, for the platform to be able to handle at least up to a million users. Then important criteria number three, development support. So we have apps available on Android, iOS, web. We wanted to make sure whatever platform we went with could easily be integrated with all of these uh, available platforms. So I'm going to talk about the different paradigms that we considered while looking for a solution for this problem. So push versus pull. So everybody here, I'm pretty sure, knows about both the platforms, <coughs> both the paradigms. We're going to talk about pull first. So pull is a traditional client-service interaction model that everybody's aware of, where a client initiates an action, they call a REST service, and the REST service comes back with a response, which gives you the next state of the user or the customer. Right? How would that solve this particular problem? Because in this case, the client is not aware whether an update in a game has happened or not. So the only way to update to solve this problem using this model 
is for the clients to be able to pull the API every few seconds or minutes, right? What would this mean? This would mean that <coughs> I will have to build a REST service that all of my clients will keep pulling. What are the disadvantages that you can see with this model? The two main disadvantages I want to talk about here. One is cost. So in this model, all the clients are calling your REST service almost at the same time. So in the worst case scenario, you have to scale up for that REST service to be able to handle up to a million TPS. And at other times, it's sitting idle and nobody's calling the service. So it's unused hardware, which is not ideal. Second, latency. Let's say I set up the poll mechanism to poll the REST service every six seconds. Now, this has guaranteed that none of my users will get that update before those 60 seconds are over. So it ensures that all the live updates would be delayed by at least 60 seconds. Again, <coughs> doesn't work for us. That's when we considered the push mechanism for this. So with push, the idea is that clients are always connected to a backend push service through a WebSocket. So AWS IoT supports use of WebSockets with MQTT protocol. And here, the, <coughs> the onus is on the push service to provide any update and push it down to all the subscribed users. This is where we thought this could help us. This has none of the disadvantages that we talked about with pull model. We don't have to scale our REST service uh, to handle a million TPS, and it just works when it's required. Now, I'm going to discuss the very simplified version of the architecture that we ended up building using the AWS IoT platform that served us really well. So we used Amazon Cognito service for authentication and authorization purposes so that all the devices could connect to the AWS IoT service. Now, AWS IoT is a pub-sub model, publisher-subscriber model. So somebody is a publisher and somebody is subscribing. So here, all the devices would be subscribed to certain topics. And my publisher would then publish to these topics, and all of my front-end clients should ideally get these updates. That was a very simplified view of how we achieved this. Let's talk about topic schemas that we, that we considered for this architecture. Now, as I mentioned, AWS IoT is using PubSub model, and IoT topics are essentially a function that define what information each subscriber gets, right? So we considered three different topic schemas for this. <coughs> Excuse me. First one, one topic per game. Second, one topic from multiple games. And third, one topic for all the games. I'm going to briefly run through all the th these three scenarios and how they could be useful. So first of all, single topic per game, which means that I'll only publish updates for a single game on one topic. So one topic is created per game. So look at it from both ends, from both pub publisher and subscriber. From publisher's end, the publisher needs to know which topic does it need to publish the data on for that particular game. So added complexity, because it needs to keep track of all the topics that it needs to use to publish data on. On the subscriber side, the device which needs updates for all the games for aforementioned games page would need to manage maybe up to 300 subscriptions for topics because you know there could be up to 300, 400 games in a season. Again, added complexity on the front end, which is the subscriber side in this case. Let's talk about single topic for multiple games. We, could, we also considered pooling up games into, uh, into pools so that updates for multiple games could be published on one topic. Now, this is very similar to the previous slide, but the only difference is that uh, multiple updates are being pushed on one topic for multiple games. On the publisher side, the complexity remains almost the same, 
On the subscriber side, again, complexity remains the same because they need updates for all the games. Now, this is the scheme that we ended up using where we just needed one topic. And that would contain updates for all the games that are happening. So on the publisher side, we could reduce the complexity. We don't need to keep track of all the topics that could be used. Uh, publisher could uh, to publish multiple updates, put them in one message, and publish that to one IoT topic. And same on the subscriber side, where subscriber does only needs to maintain one subscription for one topic. And it gets all the updates to that one topic itself. So this worked out really well for us. I'm going to talk about how are we going to scale. So this worked out for us for the number of users that we had at that time. But this is not going to work as we scale, as we grow our application, as more consumers use our platform. Why? Why not? Because AWS IoT has a fan out latency per publish, right? Which means that <clears throat> for each fan out, it takes X amount of time. Now, if more pub, uh, subscribers subscribe to that one particular topic, it would keep adding on to that latency, which is not acceptable. We want that latency to be within those certain bounds that we discussed earlier, 60 seconds. So what we can do is create multiple topics and pool devices into those topics, which means certain devices would get updates from one topic, other devices would get updates from another topic. So none of my devices are creating multiple subscriptions. They know what topic they need to subscribe to. And, but the complexity increases on the publisher side here, because now my publisher has to publish the same updates to these multiple topics parallelly. But this solves our problem. We are able to scale now. So next, I'm going to do a recap and talk about how AWS IoT helped us solve this problem. One, the most important factor was latency. We were able to do this within the 60-second constraint that we had set up for ourselves. Thanks to Dinkar and his team. They worked, worked with us really well. Second, message size. So AWS IoT supports a message size of up to 128 KPs, which means that we could combine multiple updates for the game and publish them as one message. This reduced the complexity on the publisher side and also saved us on cost, because there's a cost associated with each publish as well. Now, authentication and authorization are really important. So we were able to integrate with Amazon Cognito and leverage that integration with AWS IoT to support authentication. The, one of the most important factors where AWS IoT really wins and won for us was the ability to do rapid prototyping. Because AWS IoT is a fully managed service, and it already has SDKs available for all of the platforms that I discussed earlier, Android, iOS, web, we were able to create a prototype within three weeks, which helped us do a proof of concept and get out all the bugs that uh, we, uh, we thought of initially in our design. So this is how we leverage AWS IoT to build one of the very important features that we launched earlier this year, which is audio live streaming of soccer games on Amazon Music app. I'm going to invite Dinkar back to talk about the key takeaways from this presentation. Thanks, all right, so we're towards the end here. <clears throat> I'm actually going to just do a quick recap of all the takeaways we talked about for the examples, and I'll open up for our questions. So basically, we talked about four examples. In the first example, we talked about the connected TVs and why it's um, convenient to use wildcard subscriptions to consolidate your subscriptions, um, especially if you have like uh, your device having to subscribe to um, hundreds of topics. Then we talked about what is a good topic structure model, especially when you have wildcard subscriptions. So if you have wildcard subscriptions, you want to make sure that your wildcard is towards the right of the high cardinality part of your topic, like the device ID in this case. Then we talked about the telemetry use case. And there we talked about what are the ways in which, um, excuse me, so we talked about basically what you need to do to make sure that 
you have uh, enough provision capacity for your downstream service that you're writing this data into. So the math behind that. And then we talked about what are the ways in which you can choose the access keys to write this data into the backend service in order to make sure that you have a uniform workload of writes across that provision capacity. So think of high cardinality for your access keys. Then we talked about Think Shadows and how Think Shadows can be really helpful when your devices go online and offline uh, in order to keep, make, make themselves keep up to speed with what the state should be. Uh, we talked about why it is really dangerous to use uh, shared Think Shadows. Avoid it. Um, but if you want to have your devices scale to millions and you want to use Think Shadows, think of high cardinality for your Think Shadows as well. And the best high cardinality you can get is have at least one thing shadow per device. And then that will scale for how many ever devices you need. And in the last example, we talked about um, a broadcast notification pattern where you have a requirement to fan out your message and push to multiple and many millions of devices with strict uh, requirements on how fast that delivery needs to happen. In those scenarios, you could think about how you can um, basically get high cardinality even for your topics to fan out and then have your subscribers get evenly distributed across those topics, and then have parallelization kick in to the point where you can get the desired SLA for all the devices to receive your notifications. And lastly, we talked, um, Amazon Music actually gave their example of how they build this super cool application um, and utilize the broadcast notification pattern uh, using AWS IoT. I'm gonna stop here and call it a day, but we can open up for questions. We have a few more minutes. And then I'll be available also in the hallways um, after this talk if you want to kind of reach out and have one-on-one -on -one questions. Sure. In the uh, offline, offline. Thank you.